Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca. I actually feel quite overwhelmed. Like I hope like, I haven't got my glasses for the small text here. Just, I, I just feel like in a time like that when the Holy Spirit comes and it's just this tender-hearted space, I think it's such a beautiful way to start a subject like generosity because you need a soft, that, that seed needs to land on soft soil. Otherwise, um, yeah, it just won't bear any fruit. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about us living as kings and priests. I'm not sure who of you were there, but just as a, as a king and a priest, being in a place with that heart attitude of serving, not from a place of coming from, from underneath, but from a place of authority, from a place of privilege, from a place of abundance, um, from overflow, not from a place of poverty and lack. And for me, that looks like generous living. Um, Proverbs 11 verse 24 says, the world of the generous gets, this is from the message, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And, you know, we are a community that is going after that. If you're here, I trust that that's in you as well, that we're getting, going after a world that is getting larger and larger. And um, so I wanted to just start by reading the definition, just a Wikipedia definition of, of what generous means, because I, I loved it. It's showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Synonyms, liberal, lavish, open-handed, free-handed, bountiful, unselfish, princely. Isn't that linking so beautifully with kings and priests? It's, just, it's royalty that gets you to live from a place of generosity, as opposed to the antonym, mean and selfish. That's not what we're after, is it? Um, or another one here is showing kindness towards other. Sorry. <laughs> I can't take that, Joe. <laughs> Let me can that? Um, showing kindness towards others. Kind, kindly, benevolent, lo- noble, lofty, big-hearted, honorable, good, unselfish, unprejudiced. Or two, it says, of a thing, larger or more plentiful than is usual or necessary. And in inverted commas, a generous helping of pasta as an example. Uh, Synonyms, lavish, plentiful, copious, amble, liberal, bountiful, large, huge, great, abundant, profuse, rich, bumper, flush, overflowing, superabundant, infinite, inexhaustible. Doesn't that sound like kingdom language to you? And I want to live a life like that. I want to be a guy who's known for giving a generous helping of pasta. (laughs) More than just enough. Although, Mila, eh? Yes, gluten-free pasta. Although my daughter Mila will have a problem with that because she says, she's learned from her mom that carbs are the enemy. That's a (laughs) regular... But mom, carbs are the enemy. (laughs) Um, But I want to live a life like that, that more than is strictly necessary or expected of my time, my affection, my home, my food, because isn't that what God is like? 
yo, off the back of that worship, I'm already just like overwhelmed. I mean, just that last song, you look at the bountiful nature of God. That's what he does. He chases us down. He leaves no stone unturned. He gave everything, as uh, Elaine was saying, now. he bankrupted himself. He gave everything to us. And so that's our response. And um, yeah, I think I was so impacted by George and Banoff in um, a couple of, um, in the last some number of months. He was talking about, um, well, he was praying for people that were looking for homes because he somehow has apparently has an anointing, pray for a home and people get homes, like paid for and just amazing testimony and miracles. And so he asked everyone to stand up and he was saying, if you're asking for a three-bedroom home because that's what you need, he's like, almost like a slap on the wrist, don't. Trust for a four-bedroom home. If you're looking for a four-bedroom home, trust for a five-bedroom home. Don't just ask the Lord for what you need. Ask the Lord for something that you can now be generous with, that you can open up your home. You're going to use that extra room to host people and be generous to people, you know? And not to just be a, a home of just enough, you know? He's like, no, I pray not only for that house to come through, I pray for provision for an extra big fridge filled with eggs and sausages and this and that, that you can host people and be bountiful and bless people from a place of generosity. And that really spoke to us because, as Kirsty said, we've taken the last, I don't know, since the beginning of the year, we've been thinking about this thing of, of generosity and just really digging into it over the last while. And that's landed at us speaking about it today. But our God is a God of more than enough. And so I think we get a choice on how to live. We get a choice to live uh, outward focused or inward focused. Inward focused would be choosing me first. Uh, and that, plays, that comes from a place of lack, doesn't it? And a, a self-dependence as opposed to an outward focused where um, we choose others f- first. And that flows from a place of abundance. I have excess to give. I have got, um, I'm in this place, I'm dependent on Jesus, and I've got excess, and I, I flow from that place. And I think we're faced with this question every day, to live from an outward or an inward um, perspective. And so, how do we live with an outward focus? I think, for me, it's two, twofold. I think, one, we, it's part decision. We need to decide to do it in relation to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, when he talks about the two greatest commandments, it says in verse 37, Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God with every passion that's in your heart, with all the energy of your being and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and prophets. And I like that description there, friend. The the Aramaic word there is carob, which means one who is close to you emotionally or by proximity. So that's who you get to love, your neighbor, whoever you happen to be close to at a particular point in time. And so it's part decision. You need to hear what the Lord said and decide, actually, yes, I'm going to live like that and choose to do that on a day-to-day basis. And then the other one is part revelation, isn't it? It's like we start to hear these things. It's a growing in knowledge 
of an understanding what it means to be um, generous and, and bountiful. So the question is, is that what are, you, what are you rooted in? When you get squeezed in a certain situation of needing to give of yourself, not just financial, what comes? Is it, a, is it a closed hand or is it an open hand? You know that thing of like you squeeze a toothpaste, toothpaste tube, what comes out? Toothpaste. There's certain things when we get squeezed, what comes out? And I think fundamentally it's a gospel of the kingdom question. In other words, like what do you believe? What have you actually been saved into? What kind of a, a kingdom have you been saved into? Um, or is it a kingdom of increase, of more than enough? Or is it increased a kingdom of not enough? And so it really comes down to having a, a poverty or a wealth mentality in that place. And yeah, I want to just talk about poverty or wealth mentality and straight up the front talk about it's not got to do with money, you know, um, because, you know, Paul didn't always have money. He was content with much and with little. It's not about you know, oh, if I'm close to the Lord, therefore I'll have money. If I'm not close now, I won't have money. It doesn't work like that. Um, so it's not just about wealth. But So when I read these definitions of poverty, and um, just hear that. So poverty, the state of being extremely poor. And two, the state of being inferior in quality or insufficient in amount. It speaks of a one kingdom, doesn't it? Um, and the other thing of wealth Definition: an abundance of valuable possessions or money, obviously includes money, or two, a plentiful supply of a particular desirable thing. And we have a plentiful supply of a particular desirable thing, don't we? Hey? That we get to give of. And so, if you look at those two definitions, what kind of a kingdom have you been saved into? Have you been saved into a kingdom of inferior, insufficient, and and poor, or into a plentiful supply and abundance kingdom, because that mindset plays out into every aspect of your life, your time, your money, your love, your affection, the way you approach others, and so to live from that place of poverty or wealth mentality, it's a mindset, it's a thing of like what, it's how you think or actually, like I said, being squeezed, what you actually believe on the inside. And I feel like there's, a, there's this magnet that is inside of us that draws us, depending on how our mind is um, renewed, relating to these two different kingdoms, there's a magnet that draws us either into the poverty side or into the, the wealth side. You know, Poverty is me, myself, self-dependence, an expectation of lack and of fear, Whereas on the kingdom side, there's an expectation of good, expectation of increase. I'm sure you've heard Bill Johnson say that any area in your life that you're not ex actively expecting God's goodness to break out in as an increase, you've most likely got a stronghold in that area, you know, which is quite interesting. And so... On the six-month thing of just really looking into this quite a lot, I was speaking with um, a guy who leads a church of just an experienced guy, and like, hey, how do you see all of these things? And he was like, off the bat, I need to tell you, I'm recovering from a poverty mentality. Okay. Okay? 
And I think, isn't that true? You know, that magnet in us that would draw us sometimes to here. We need to renew our mind and come back into a wealth mindset. We most likely, all of us, are recovering from a poverty mentality and, and mindset. And so we need to renew our minds. I think if you look at church history over the last while, you know, spirituality had often been equated with like lack and poverty, vows of, you know, of this and that, of abstinence and, you know, give all, for all your worldly wealth and, you know, because then you become into a more holy place. And so I think the church is in a recovering from a poverty mentality, from this glamorized point, you know, this glamorized place. I remember, I think it was uh, Kirsty's gran that told stories about back in, in her day when she was growing up, all of, once they'd used the tea bag up, they would save the used tea bags and keep it into a, um, a pile so that they could donate it to the missionaries. <laughs> Lucky missionaries. <laughs> now, that's not a thing of being thrifty. I mean, if you're in your home and you're saving and you use your tea bag twice, that's fine if that's what you're doing. But to, to like say, hey, you men of God, this is our best for you. Have our leftovers. Uh, speaks into that. I remember our first time, our trip that we went to Bethel, I was horribly offended in my recovering state of the fact that, like, you know, they were really flowing in abundance. You know, and their conferences that they have, they charge, like, what you would pay for a normal conference. Like, I mean, how dare the church charge you the same price that you would pay if you went to a different kind of conference? It's ridiculous. The mindset that we, are, that we get stuck in, like, that we think it's like, oh, no, it's in the church that needs to be completely free. But in the world, oh, yeah, I'll pay for that. I'll put my money there. But in the church, something, you need to think about your thinking there. And so, um, yeah, I think it, it, as I said, it, it affects, it influences your, your money, your time, your, your health, your inner environment. Where are, you, where are you swaying to? You know, are you expecting God's goodness to break out in your health? Or are you expecting family things that have gone down to be passed down to you? Are you, or are you saying, actually, no, this is the, I won't fit into these shoes. Um, or are you expecting, like, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look after this thing. I'm going to expect God's kingdom to break out in my health, as an example. And, uh, yeah, I just, it, it, take that on all aspects. Relationships, like, expecting hurt and break down or you're expecting breakout and I'm going to love lavishly because that's the way my Lord loves and that's the way I'm going to that's the way I'm going to live and so I think generosity flows when you live from a wealth mindset when that's where you planted and we can only find that wealth mindset in Jesus I think it's it's when our core uh, is being loved. You know, at salvation we experience his lavish everything. He gave his only son. He gave everything to us. And that's our starting point. When we start to see that, we start to see, hey, that's our father. That's our DNA. And we get to respond from that place. And so generosity flows as a response to our encounter with Jesus. Don't you love the, the story in the Gospels that it gets recorded about Mary having been redeemed, you know, forgiven, welcomed in, uh, when she pours out the perfume on Jesus? 
I'm going to read from John 12, verse 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. But Judas, the locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste! You could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. That fortune, it said about that, that it was worth about an, a year's salary. So you're talking about this liter of perfume being worth most likely in today's terms a few hundred thousand rand value. And she just extravagantly wastes it on Jesus. Um, verse 6. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case. He would steal money whenever he wanted from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. Isn't that quite interesting? Jesus had funds that were supported his ministry. He had a Rowan accountant looking after the funds of his ministry that were being looked after. You know, so sometimes I just want to think about our thinking with regards to how we see Jesus. Because we assume that he was just this, like, you know, born in a stable and he stayed there, you know. <laughs> Now, I'm not proposing that he was a tycoon, but, you know, when they, when they gambled for his tunic at the cross, that was a seamless tunic. It was of extreme value. Now, I wonder if had Mary maybe given that to him? This perfume, they said, could have been, one commentary I read, could have been part of her inheritance, you know, that she had, that she wasted on Jesus. So Jesus has got this tunic on that's seamless that they're gambling for. Uh, Christopher Lotson in his book, Money, Riches, Poverty, and Wealth, um, talks about this. And he's, he's saying that it was like almost the Imani suit of the day, you know. Again, not trying to paint a picture that Jesus was this wealthy tycoon thing, but just maybe a different thing to think about your thinking. The way you approach Jesus from like, oh, he was just this, like, had nothing, versus maybe, you know, he could produce that water into wine, he had been doing that at home a few times. Who knows? How would his mom have known? Jesus said to Jesus, leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. And so I just wrote here, I think when we experience the generous, more than enough, extravagant love and redemption of Jesus, like Mary did, where we realize that he has given us everything, that nothing that we have is of our own, that we are not our own anymore, that we are new creations purchased by his blood. Our response is like Mary, where we pour out everything we have, our most precious possession. And I love that verse in John there, where it said that the, the fragrance of costly oil filled the house. Somehow that's what generosity does. It creates a fragrance of heaven. God is big into fragrances. All of the giving in the Old Testament from Cain and Abel onwards, it was like there's something about this aroma that is pleasing to the Lord, you know, when generosity pours out. There's a big thing about fragrance. And so let us be a community like that, that pours out generosity 
and we're bringing heaven to earth when we do that. There's this fragrance that gets released. And so you can't talk about generosity, obviously, without talking about money, because money is an incredibly powerful thing. You know, oh, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It's a very important thing. It's from the Lord as well, you know. And, you know, it's so big that it's the one thing that God talks about that can set itself up as a God against him, you know. In um, Matthew 6.24, how could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other or to be, be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. And so money is a really, really big thing. I think in the, I didn't look all of them up, but apparently 2,350 times in the Bible, there's reference to money and possessions. Um, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about love. 16 out of 38 of the parable have to deal with how to manage money and possessions. Yeah, I think in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses apparently has got something to do with money and possessions. 288 in all. But we need to realize that money is not evil. You can either, if it owns you, it is a very evil thing because it sets itself up against God because your trust is not in Him alone. Um, So it's not evil in itself. But if we get to steward it as, as a king, it's a very, very valuable resource. And it's something that we all need. Does anyone here say... I don't need money, thank you very much. I'm just one of those holy guys and no, we need, you need to eat tomorrow, you know? And so it comes down to, the, the root issue with money, it comes down to what, how does it find its place in your heart? What's happening in your heart? Um, is it mine or is it God's? If I had to call one of you up here and I had to say, have you got a hundred rand note? Yes. Here's another hundred rand note. Um, and I give it to you, which one would be the easiest one to give back to me? It's like, once you give me or give to someone else? The one that was just given to you, because it's not yours yet, you know, really, it's just been given to you. It's a much easier thing to give away than something that is yours, you know? It's like, why must I give that, you know? And so it comes down to a heart issue. Um, I, I wanted to tell you a story. Um, yeah, so... Earlier this year, our businesses was going through a bit of a tough time, and we felt like we were meant to go on this ministry trip um, at the end of this year that's just been uh, to Bethel, we missed it, um, with, uh, with some people. And we really, we felt like we should go there, but the business wasn't doing well, so we couldn't afford to go. So in that place of the business not doing well, I'm like, Lord, like we, we're praying for the Lord to break through in the business. And then I'm like, okay, so Lord, so we're praying for that. And I'm like, oh, and then there's this trip. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard stories of people getting an envelope, um, you know, just enough in the post box. You know, we were saying last night, it's like a bummer. We didn't build this house with a post box. (laughs) Um, But I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, like, yes, pour out blessing on my business. um, But Lord, for this trip, won't you do a miracle and put an end, you know, let somebody bless us with enough that confirms that it's from you, you know, that we should go along on this thing. And the Lord, like, really spoke to me through that process. Because even though I would have said, and I've always said, this, the Lord birthed this business, it's His. 
yada, yada, you know, etc. When it came down to it, I saw that the, the envelope in the post box is more of a miracle of the Lord's provision than him blessing our businesses, you know? Like, more, oh, that's more me, you know? Versus, I oh know this is a complete miracle from the Lord, you know. And so it really spoke to me about this thing of, you know, us sowing seed, but the Lord causes the rain and it grows. I can go and make a, a pitch on a deal to somebody and they could just as easily go with my competition. The Lord is the one, not like, oh yeah, I pitched for that and I got the deal, you know. And you think you're a hot shot. No, you could have just as easily gone for your competition. It's the same as when you're a farmer and you plant seed and the Lord causes rain and creates things to grow. Um, another story, which I'm going to share with permission of my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, when was it? At, when uh, Che An was at a Breakthrough Life a little while ago, he was taking up an offering for John Crumpton's building that they're building. Amazing vision for what they're wanting to do there. And so we were like, yes, we want to give. And I knew that the Lord's been dealing with us in our hearts about breaking this poverty mentality. And so I said to, um, the Lord said to me, no, whatever Kirsty figure Kirsty wants to give, you give. But she must be the one to give it because I knew that he wanted to also break something in her that, that evening. And so I didn't tell her that. I said, babe, I, what do you, f I think you should come up with the amount. So we're praying about it. And then she fills three figures. What Rob will give, what she thinks we should give, and then what we should really give, which was quite a number of times more. You know, it's like, Rob, me, what we should really give. So she's like, well, I felt this, you know. So I said, okay, great. So I pull out my phone, and I've got SnapScan. They accept SnapScan, new age. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I put the money in, and I said, babe, you push pay. Now suddenly, at that moment of pay, it's like, because it's not, we're not giving from, a, things are, like I've said, things have been a bit tight. It's not like we're giving from our overflow, you know, it's more from our lack. And I'm saying, okay, cool, you push pay, because I'm generally always the one that does all the payments. So I'm like, no, this is your turn, push pay. And it's like, you know, it's like, like, hold on, let's think about it, you know, maybe it was too, maybe I didn't hear, you know, etc. you know. And... Um, and, you know, then eventually she, she pushed pay, you know. But isn't that what it is? It's in our hearts that it's like when we get to the, oh, you know, like, yeah, I'm a generous person, you know. But when it's like gets to a moment where it's something that's bigger than what is normally in your, what you can do, what comes out? And um, so I think giving to break a poverty mentality is huge. It's a huge thing. I was listening in part of this journey, I was listening to Chris Vallotton, uh, somebody sent us a link to um, when he was talking about how he arrived at Bethel. Now he arrives at Bethel, uh, funding himself, doesn't have a lot of money, gets there and realizes like, oh, Bethel doesn't have money either, you know. Um, they are struggling, you know. And he knew that he, they weren't going to be able to pay him for a while, but he like gets there and he walks past Steve De Silva's office, who was the CFO of Bethel. And he walks into his office and Steve's crying, you know, and he's like, like, what's wrong, Steve, you know, asked him, he's like, no, he's like, we've, we overextended, this is our 120 day pile of invoices that we owe, the 90 day, the 60, the 30 and the current, plus we've got a $40,000 payroll to run on Friday and we overdrawn on our checkbook, we're in a difficult place. 
So he says, well, have you gone and spoken to Bill about this? So he says, um, he says, yes, I've just come from Bill's office. And he said, well, what did Bill say about that? No, Bill told me to give $10,000 to another church. <laughs> because he says, when, you, when you're in trouble, that's what you do, you give. Um, that was Bill's response. And so in, in the same time, they're struggling, you know, and the Lord gives Bill Johnson a picture to build their prayer chapel. I'm not sure who of you have been there and seen it, but the Lord gives him a picture, build a prayer chapel, it's got a world in the middle, like a flowing, a north, south, east, west, and it's an octagonal building, um, and he gives him a blueprint for this prayer chapel that he needs to build. So he goes to the, the elders in this lack time and says, I feel like the Lord has spoken for us to, to build this prayer chapel. And one of the, the elders says, hold on a second, I'm just going home, goes home, comes back with plans for an octagonal shaped building with this world in the middle, and they're just like, no ways, okay, this is the Lord, um, we're doing this, you know? Now from a place of not having money, they cost it, it's gonna cost them $237,000 to build, and this is where Chris arrives on the scene. In a prayer meeting, before the, uh, the pre-meeting prayer service, like we have here, and he has a, a word from the Lord. Now, they're in a difficult financial situation because a thousand people left their church because of Bill is going after renewal and he won't budge except for going after what the Lord has called him to go after. And so Chris has this word for him. He says, Bill, um, I feel like the Lord has told me that you will, that he will raise, because of your faithfulness and not swerving for your commitment to what I've called you to, I'm going to raise all the money for that chapel in one day, one offering, you know. And so he hears it, and he says, Chris is like, as soon as he said that, he's like, the anointing lifts, and he's like, what have I just said, you know? Um, so Bill, who they call Moses, he's got no connection earth, and he's just like, we're going for this. So I'm trying to condense the story. In the, that service, he said, tells them about the plan for the chapel, and we're going to be taking up an offering. Now Chris has like got his head under the thing, you know, because now he's brought this word. It's going to be raised in one day, you know? at a time where they were probably taking, I think, about $10,000 offering a service a week. It was their offering, not their tithes, their offerings were about $10,000. So now they need 237. So Bill like, goes for gold. It's like, we're doing this. We're going to take up an offering. And not only that, we're going to actually come and put it on the stage. While you're here, we're going to count it, you know. And Chris, can you be one of those to come up and count it? Chris is like, you know, comes up. And they counted, and they raised from that normally ten thousand. They raised two hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars and fifty cents. Eh? How amazing is that? In a time of just responding to what the Lord is doing. Sure. So I mean, off giving has been right from the beginning. You know, I started reading from Genesis a little while ago, and like right from Cain and Abel, pre-law, not tithe, etc. All of these things that we get caught up in. No. Cain and Abel, right from the very beginning, they came and gave an offering that was pleasing to the Lord. Abel's offering. Cain's not so, because Abel gave of his first, his best of his flocks, and came and brought it to the Lord. And it was just this amazing aroma to the Lord. And I think we can see this, this hot attitude of, of giving. I mean, even Noah, just post the flood, ark, you know, not bountiful animals, I don't guess. 
you know, I'm not guessing, because of coming off of an ark, you know, comes out, gets delivered out of the ark. They're now on dry land again. What does he do? He comes and brings an offering, a burnt offering, and he, and he um, burns it before the Lord. And it says, um, I wanted to read that. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered every clean bird and animal, hey? and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing bry, <laughs> the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So he's not going to ever curse the ground because of that. Noah's generous, like his reaction of giving, this is come from, I'm here because of you, and he gives back to the Lord, is such a pleasing aroma to the Lord that he, he turns the Lord's heart, you know? The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. It just it turns, so when we give of what we have, our first fruits back to the Lord, it's a pleasing aroma to him. It's really, really powerful. And then we can see even Abraham and Jacob tithing. Abraham giving to Melchizedek, who is the, the king, first king priest, who Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek, it talks about in the New, the New Testament. He came and gave a tenth uh, to, to Melchizedek. So I don't want to get into tithing today, other than to say the fact I believe in tithing. I've been on a journey where I don't think I really did believe in it, it's like, oh, well, is that a, you know, is that New Covenant? Is that, you know, is that, oh, that was the Old Testament, but that's not thing. Ultimately, when you take that down to its, its root, it's a heart thing. I'm looking for excuses on why I shouldn't give back to God, you know. Like Noah wasn't like Old Covenant, New Covenant. No, it's a heart issue, realizing that everything I have comes from the Lord, you know. And so... I tithe, you know. And so we are really wanting to look at building a culture of generosity. And so what happens in your heart when it comes to giving, you know, when you have to push pay on SnapScan at that moment? What comes out? Is it just like, yes, it's not mine, it's all of the Lord's? And it can't be. I would, I would be very surprised if that is. As I said, you you coming from this poverty mentality, we're being worked out like, okay, Lord, I'm actually going to trust with you here. It's not like a robotic thing. It's an act of worship. But I think what I really just wanted to do today is prompt a conversation between you and the Lord around uh, money and generosity. Acts 2 verse um, 45 says, out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds, the proceeds uh, to those who are in need among them. That's the generosity of, of New Covenant. It's like, let me go sell my stock on this because I see, oh, there's quite a bit of lack in, the, in, in our community at the moment. Um, let me bring it so that it can be distributed, you know. Out of their generosity, they did that. I don't think they're looking for reasons not to give. The other thing is just... Have you ever been in a situation where you saw need and you're like, oh my word, I wish some rich guy would come and just take care of that, you know? I'm like, you look at that and you're like, that is such, that's not right. This needs to be looked after. Let some rich guy come and actually, yeah, I wish like Bill Gates would be able to just come and just sort that person out and, 
you know, your heart's for this person with no money and you just want to buy them a house or something, you know? And I want to propose to us, let's us become those people, you know? As we start to lay the foundations of generosity, what happens? We open ourselves up. It's the thing of like we open and the Lord gives and we hand out those one talent becomes 10 talents and the Lord can entrust us and we can give. He's given us the ability to create wealth. It's from the Lord, the ability to create wealth. And so that's on the financial side. There's many other sides of things where you can trust the Lord to, you know, you've got this plentiful supply of your time, of your affection, of your love. Let's pour it out. Let's become those people. Um, very quickly, a, chatting to a couple uh, that had just come back from the States, they said they, they'd heard the friends that they were staying with were part of this group that I think it's called the gathering or something. It's about under 100 people, wealthy business people that get together and they raise funds into like incredible projects, like manufacturing things in prisons, just like incredible. And I forget the number because it just sounds ridiculous, but the number that came back was these people raised $90 billion. Now, let's assume it's $90 million just for prudence sake, okay? under 100 people raising $90 million, I think it was a higher number, that they, you know, were out of this place, like what are we gonna do with this, we're gonna bless. And I think that's our heart for what we wanna be able to do. We wanna be able to be in a place where we are like raising funds that we can go and say, okay, yes, let's go and, let's go and take care of this need. Let's be generous in this area, in that area. And I think that's our inheritance. And so, I think one thing I, if we can take away from today is that he is a God of more than enough. For me, for my soul, for my feeling of lack, I am not enough. I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do that. I am versus no. Actually, he will take care of every single need that I have. I've got more than enough. And out of that place, I start to give. And he gives me more and gives me more. And so I wanted to finish off with just going back to that definition of, um, of, of generous um, in the context of seeing that our generosity flows from Jesus. So when you look at Jesus, just that Wikipedia definition again, showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. expected. Larger or more plentiful than is usual or necessary. Lavish, plentiful, copious, abril, uh, ample, sorry, liberal, bountiful, large, huge, great, abundant, rich, bumper, overflowing, superabundant, infinite, exhaust, inexhaustible. And so can we become that community that when you, I go to your house, you're going to give me an extra large plate of pasta. <laughs> um, because that's what I want to be. We must be known for people that have got big hearts, overflowing, not stingy, holding on, just enough, you know. And let that start for yourself, guys. Let that start with the way you start to see yourself. Let your soul prosper. What is it? 3 John Hey, where it talks about us having prosperous souls, you know, like let our souls be prospering. Let us receive the generosity like we did in worship earlier, the Lord's generosity. Let us feed on his grace and he's more than enough. This is not a thing of like just charity. 
and we need to give, 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 give. No, it starts much more than that. It starts with our hearts that are close and intimate and overwhelmed by his goodness, overwhelmed by the intimacy we get to experience with him. Because from that place, we can overflow and we can overflow. Let's not reduce this. I don't want to reduce this talk down to, what did he say? Must we give? How much must we give? No, that's like missing the point completely. It's, it's coming from a place of like, oh, I'm full. Now let me from that place of fullness give. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca today.